I pray that you will hear what God is saying as um, Brother Sean, as we were singing, he didn't look at my notes, but he pointed out that um, Easter isn't about the Easter bunny. Amen. He pointed out that it wasn't about the candy, that it wasn't about all of these other things that we, that we enjoy on Easter because it's okay to enjoy those things, right? I think it's all right. I, it shouldn't be like, well, you know, no candy on Easter, you know? I, I don't think that it should be that way. I think that we should be able to have some candy, you know? Amen. Especially those of us that are dieting, you know, Sunday's our cheat day, so we want that, right? We look forward to Easter. But anyway, the, the point is we should be able to enjoy those things, but those things should not be the focal point of Easter, when we look at the scripture that I just read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1, Paul is speaking and he's talking to the church and he's encouraging them and he's reminding them of something that is what I say is the most important or the most significant day in all of history and that is the day that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. That is the most important day of history because that is the day that you and I can hang our hat on and we can guarantee that we have a God who is walking with us no matter what we're going through. That we have a God who loves us and cares for us no matter what it is that we are facing. And Paul is reminding the church of this in this, in this particular portion of scripture. And in our days, in our days, the days in which we live, more than anything, we need a reminder of the resurrection story. We need to be reminded of what Easter is really all about because we forget not just about what Easter is, but we forget about Jesus. We forget about who he is. We forget about what he has done. And today it is my desire to tell you what's the big deal about Easter. And I'm going to utilize BIG as an acronym. And so we're going to go B-I-G. Say B-I-G. And so the B, say bodily resurrection. So the first thing that is such a big deal about Easter is the bodily resurrection. If you look back down at your Bible, we're going to begin reading in verse 4, and we'll read to verse 20, and then I'm going to talk to you for a couple of minutes after that. As Paul reminds them, he brings them down here, and I'm just going to start reading in verse 1 so we stay in the flow. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I, I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you you believed in vain for I delivered to you the, the, the first of all when he says first of all he's talking about what is of most importance he said I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and here's where we'll start reading for this point of the bodily resurrection and that we were buried and that he rose and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas. Now, I want to pause for a moment because as we go through this, don't just listen to what I'm saying or don't just read along nonchalantly. I want you to hear what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, I preach the gospel to you. You heard the message. You heard about this Jesus who died and resurrected. You heard about this Jesus who died for your sins. And I want to remind you that this isn't some fable. This isn't some fake story. And what he is doing is, think about it in the context. He's giving this to people. It would be like me saying to you, hey, if you go and talk to this person or that person, they can verify the story that I'm communicating. Are you with me here? This is very, very important here. He isn't just giving, he isn't just writing something to them. He is really trying to break down for them how you know the resurrection is a reality. And so he says this. He says, and that he was seen by Cephas, who was also Peter. That's his, that, that, that's his original name there. He says, then by the 12. So, so Peter sees him, or Jesus shows himself to Peter, and then the 12 see him. And he says, after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Now, if you got a Bible, you should underline this part right now. Of whom the greater part remain to the present. 
I'll talk about that in a moment. But what he was saying is, he's saying, listen, if you don't believe my story, you can go find these people. These people are alive today, and they will verify that they saw Jesus risen from the dead. He wasn't some ghost. Hello? But some have fallen asleep. So some of the people have died, as Pastor Robert pointed out earlier, falling asleep when he's talking about it. He's not talking about taking a nap. Hello? Talking about being dead. Some of them have died. He said, after that, he was seen by James. That's his brother. Then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. And so Paul goes through this list of people that have seen Jesus. He says, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether, I, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. And so he's saying, hey, Whoever preached the gospel to you, it doesn't matter. What matters is the gospel was preached and you believe. But he goes on to say this. Now listen to this. He says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Pause for a moment. This is not anything new. You know how in our day they try to say Jesus didn't raise, Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, it didn't really happen. This is not some new thing. This is something that they were saying back then. Listen, from the time that Jesus, and we'll talk about this in a moment, a little bit more, but from the time that Jesus was crucified and resurrected, the religious leaders of that day were trying to make up lies and say he wasn't wasn't raised from the dead. And so there were some people who were here, who were in the church, who were saying, hey, there, there was no resurrection. He goes on to say this. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. In other words, what he's saying is, if Jesus is not risen, this is a waste of time. You got up early today for nothing. Hello, somebody. If Jesus is not risen, this is a waste of time, waste of effort. What I'm doing here, waste of time. What you're doing listening, waste of time. He's saying all of this is a waste of time. He goes on to say, he said in verse 15, yes, and we are found false witnesses. In other words, we're liars about God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. It is empty. It is worthless. And you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If Jesus is not risen, we have wasted all of our life as Christians. We have wasted all of our time in this day. And any day that we follow him, we have wasted it. But look at the next verse. This is the most powerful one there. But now Christ is risen from the dead. So the first thing that is the big deal about Easter... The big deal about Easter is this. It is the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Now, as I pointed out here, there have been great efforts to deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus with fables and flat-out lies. Let me give you one of those fables. There is a teaching on the resuscitation of Jesus, meaning that Jesus was laid in the tomb, but he wasn't really dead. That he was in anguish of his body, and that he he just passed out on the cross. That, that's what, and so what happened was he passed out on the cross. They thought he was dead, laid him in the tomb, and the cool air that blew in there <laughs> resuscitated him. 
And he woke up out of his being knocked out for a few moments there, and it was all good. That's one fable, that's one lie that is absolutely not true. How do we know Jesus was dead? How do we know that? Well, first of all, we know Jesus was dead, most importantly, is because of what the Bible says happened when he was hanging on the cross. If you remember the story, Jesus wasn't hung on the cross by himself. There were two other people hung with him. And what happened was when it was time for them to take the prisoners off of the cross, what they did was they said, okay, we need to make sure they're dead because it's preparation day, so it's a holy day. We need to get these people off the cross. So the way that they made sure they were dead, because the way you died during crucifixion was by suffocation. You suffocated because the position you were hanging in and your body would fatigue and you would not be able to pull yourself up any longer in order for you to be able to breathe. And so that's how you would die. But when they came to the first guy, the way that they ensured that he died, they broke his legs. They came to the next guy, broke his legs. When they came to Jesus, they're like, he looks like he's dead already. And so they said, we have a way to test this theory. Because he could be just acting, right? So we don't break his legs, get him down, and he runs away. Hello. Seriously. So what they did was they took this spear. When they took this spear, they stabbed it into his side, pierced the sack of his heart, and guess what comes out? Blood and water. That's the proof. He was dead. The blood and water flows out. That only happens when you're dead. Hello. So there is the proof that Jesus, it wasn't a resuscitation. It was a resurrection. Amen? Amen. The next lie that is just a flat-out lie is that they, they, what, what happened was is they, they said that the disciples came and stole his body. That was that, that that's and the reason why we know this is a flat out lie is because what happened was they put guards outside of that tomb. I want you to understand this. In those days, if you were on guard and something happened under your watch, your life was on the line. In other words, it isn't like nowadays, you know, when you work a midnight shift now, you know, like some people, you know, I, I won't name any names, but anyway, some people work a midnight shift security and they just find a cool, cozy spot. They're like, ain't nothing going to happen here, so I'm going to take a nap. Right? And then somebody breaks into the place in another room, and they're like, you know what, don't worry about it. You know, I, I, I was on the other side, and that happened when I wasn't there. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like just write up a report, and it's all good. No, 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 you die. So these, these guys, these soldiers that were there by the tomb, guess what they weren't doing? They weren't sleeping. They weren't going to let the disciples just come by. Oh, come on, y'all, just move. We'll help you move this stone. Wasn't going to happen like that. The disciples did not steal the body of Jesus. That did not happen. And so, how do we know that the resurrection is real and is a reality? First of all, let me say this. Many people have tried and come out unsuccessful at producing the body of Jesus. They've been trying for years and years and years to produce that body. They cannot do it. They will not do it. The only time the body of Jesus will be produced is when he returns for his church. That is when we will see him again. That's the bottom line. The second thing is, the Bible clearly teaches, I just talked about that, that Jesus died and he resurrected. So how do you know you can trust the Bible? Well, the way you know you can trust the Bible, there are three ways that you can prove the Bible is accurate. The first way is geographically. The second way is historically. The third way is prophetically. Let me just point something out to you. And doing a little bit of research on this, because I always give those points. I always say you can look at the Bible geographically and you can see that it's truthful. That's one of the tests that they had to have. But what I found out was like around the 1800s, 1900s, that was like the time of skepticism, big time. So you know what they were doing? They wanted to disprove the Bible. Archaeologists wanted to disprove the Bible. And you know what they did? They would read the Bible, and when the Bible said there was a city that was here, they would find out where that city was, and they would go dig there. Because they were going to prove, now nah, this, this book is not real. Guess what? 25,000 digs, not 25, 
25,000 digs have confirmed the accuracy of the geography in the Bible. That's pretty convincing all by itself. Now they're like, we're not, we're not going to read the Bible no more to disprove it. Where do we need to dig to find stuff? That's, that's what they've done. They look at the scriptures to see where can we dig. Where can we dig to find out about these things and learn about history. So we got that. Then there's another guy, historically. How do we know historically? There's a guy by the name of Josephus, okay? And this guy, he is a non-Christian. Say non-Christian. This is very important because I could probably go in here and I could name for you a ton of Christian historians and all of that. And it really wouldn't make a bunch of difference because then that's like circular reasoning. They were a Christian and they're going to, of course, confirm all of this stuff. This guy, not a Christian. He was not a believer. And you know what he does? In, in history, he writes down, there's a thing called the works of Josephus. And you read through there and you get descriptions of the disciples. You get descriptions. There's even a description in there of Jesus. Hello. But anyway. The point is, history proves, secular history, not just biblical history, secular history proves. So we got geography on our side, and we have what? We also have the history on our side. And then my favorite one, see, because for me, I don't need these other two at all. These other two are just bonuses for me. But this one is the one that is the most important. And it is the prophetic speakings of the Bible. Prophetic means that somebody wrote down something declaring future events. And when they wrote those things down, they said, these things are going to happen. There's a guy by the name of Daniel. The book of Daniel is found in the Old Testament. And this guy lived way before the Grecian Empire, way, way before the Roman Empire. He lived way before those times. And in praying and seeking God, God speaks to him and gives him a clear vision of exactly what is going to happen throughout history. Anybody who hates the Bible hates the book of Daniel more than anything. Because they have tried to prove this book, this is what they say about this book. This book had to have been written after those things occurred. Because it is so accurate, nobody could know. Yes, there is somebody who could know. That's God Almighty. If you broke the Bible down into, into thirds, you would find that one-third of the Bible is predictive. In that one-third, two-thirds of it have already come to pass exactly, exactly as the Bible declares. There's a movie that I'll point you to because I don't have time to get into every single one of the facts. It is called The Daniel Project, not The Lazarus Project. Hello. There's two different movies. The Daniel Project is the one I'm talking about. The Daniel Project, this is a, this, this is a really good documentary. And what it is done, it is done by a skeptic. The skeptic is the one who is leading. This guy doesn't like at the end talk. No, he's, he's saying you're going to have to make some decisions. And what he does is he goes through 20 prophecies. He goes through like 20 or 21 prophecies in the Bible, and he brings them to today. And he says, this is what the Bible said about this, and this is what happened. This is what the Bible said about this, this is what happened. This, and he, he brings you today, and he says, now listen, at the end of this, you have to make a decision. Either this is just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, this really just, I, I don't even know how it happened, but whatever, or you need to really consider where you're at with Jesus. You really need to consider where you're at. The guy tells you in the beginning of the interview, he's like, look, man, they asked me to do this because I'm a skeptic. Hello. That's the right guy you want to do because he's going to do everything he can to disprove what you're saying. And all they did was say, look at this prophecy. It said that this was going to happen in Israel. It says stuff like the shekel is going to become money. Well, you go to Israel, shekel is money now. Hello. That's what the Bible said. It talks about the language, the, the language being brought back. Guess what? That's the language they're talking over there. These are things that the Bible declared, the things that the scriptures. So you have his, history is proven. Geography is proven. Now, why does this become so important? Because the Bible is what teaches about the resurrection of Jesus the most clearly. 
How else do we know? Well, we read the scripture here. Paul said that over 500 eyewitnesses who say, and he said it like this, the greater part of them remain to the present. In other words, go ask them about this. They were alive. They were there. Jesus appeared to the apostles, and, and he, he appeared to Paul. And next week, when I go back into the book of Acts, I'll tell you more about that appearance that he made to Paul. But he turned Paul, and we know this. If you were here last week, Paul was the greatest opponent to the church. He hated the church. And when Jesus brought it, when, when Jesus confronted him, he turned him to the greatest person who was going to preach the gospel. That's what Jesus did because he's alive. Jesus appeared to, to, to Paul. And then lastly, and, and, and when, when, when you look at this, when these, these apostles, it says that the apostles stole his body. This is one that I love, this, this example. If they would have stole Jesus' body, do you think they would have died for him? You think they would have, listen to what I'm saying. Okay, I, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to steal this body so I can lie about him resurrecting. Okay, that's all good, but now my life is on the line. You think I'm not going to say, yo, man, we got that body right over there. It, we, we, you know, we thought we could pull this one off, but you know what? I'm, I'm not going to die. Maybe one of them would have died, and the next, the, the next ten would have been like, hold up. You saw a homie, he got killed. All we got to do is say his body's over there, and we're good. So... I'm saying, I, I mean, just think about this. It wasn't just those 10 apostles that died, but people have died. There's a book called um, Fox's Book of Christian Martyrs, and there is tons of history for people who have given their life for some fable. No. They've given their life for the resurrected Jesus. Amen? And the last thing that I'll do is I'll ask you this in this place, or I'll say this. Over 2,000 years after his resurrection, Jesus is changing lives. Now, I'm going to ask you to be bold in this place, right? If Jesus has done something for you, like let's say if Jesus has changed your marriage, would you just stand up? If he's done something to transform your marriage, would you stand up? Now, look, that's just one example. Now, 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 if Jesus saved you from your sin and, like, turned you all around, you just stand up in this place. If he just, I mean, I'm just saying, if he, if he done something for you. See, so, so, so not just these other people, but these people that are here, that are in this place, that are standing up, what they're saying is, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He didn't just appear to them. He appeared to us, maybe not in a physical form, but he's done something tangible and he still is and if you're in this place and you're not standing you can have a seat right now thank you for standing if you're not standing and Jesus hasn't touched your life he wants to touch your life today because he wants to show you something and that will bring us to our eyes say I, I. is indescribable love say indescribable love. indescribable love if you look at chapter 15 again and look at verse 3 it says this it says, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The Bible makes it emphatically clear that Jesus didn't just die just because, but he died for our sins. This is where the gospel gets real offensive. He died for our sins. He didn't just die because he felt like, well, you know, today's a good day to die. No, that isn't it. He died because we needed him to die. He died for us because we cannot save ourselves. So I have, a little, I have a little test here because the Bible teaches us that we're born into sin, but it also teaches us that we are breakers of God's law. That's what the Bible teaches. 
So this is what I want to ask. I'm going to ask a couple of questions here. You don't have to raise your hand. You could just say yes, you know, what, however you want to respond to this. You could just not respond. Just respond internally. But just think about this. A little test just to see if you're a lawbreaker, right? First question is this. Have you ever told a lie? Liar, liar, pants on fire. Hello. So everybody in here has told a lie, right? Have you ever stolen something? I know you don't want to admit that. You're like, well, I'm not going to steal your purse. Listen, it ain't, it ain't about that. Have you ever stolen? Have you ever taken something that isn't yours? Most of us would say yes, right? How about this one? Have you ever looked at someone in a lustful way? Mm-hmm. I know, I, listen, I, I'm just, have you ever done it? The question is, have you ever, because if you have, right, then Jesus said something. He said, if you look at a woman with intention to lust, you've committed adultery. So, so far, everyone in this place has admitted that they are liars, that they are thieves, and that they are adulterers. I'm just saying, the test continues, though. Have you ever disrespected your parents? Y'all really going to hell for that. That's like the worst sin. Have you ever hated someone? Hated someone, been unwilling to forgive them? Jesus says that's like murder. Wow. Okay, so liars, thieves, adulterers, disrespecters of parents, and murderers. Now, if you answered yes to even one of these, you're a lawbreaker. And because you're a lawbreaker, you know what happens when you break the law, right? If you're driving down the road above the speed limit, you get caught, what do you get? You get a ticket. You get a fine. You got to pay. There is a consequence to breaking laws. If you go out there, you physically murder someone, you get caught, what happens? You go to prison. There are consequences for being a lawbreaker. Everybody in here has admitted that they are breakers of the law. That's, 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 that, that's, that means that we are all guilty. That means that we all deserve what? Judgment. We all deserve consequence. What is the consequence? The consequence is because we break God's laws, because we sin against God, then we deserve the ultimate consequence, which is hell. Hell is separation from God for all of eternity. I don't know what you believe. I don't know what you think. But I want you to know that hell is, you, you, you get one shot. You go there, it's a wrap. There's no, like, you sit there and hang out for a little bit and then you get out. No. It's not like the county jail. Hello, somebody. It's not like you go there and, you know, you're going to hang out until you can prove your innocence. It's none of that. You are guilty. You know why? You're, you just said you're guilty. And God is holy. And he declares, he says, you know what, I am holy. And so the bottom line is this, is that if you answered yes to, to, to just one of these, then you're guilty. And if you didn't answer yes to one of these, then you're guilty of number one because you're a liar. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I want to help you. If you don't know Jesus, I want to assist you. Listen, we are all breakers of God's law. That's the bad news. Say, that's the bad news. But here's the beautiful news. Because we are sinners, because we have broken God's law, because we are on our way to hell with no hope, Jesus comes and he dies. 
Jesus comes, and according to the scriptures, he dies for our sins. He dies for every lie I've ever told, every lie that I ever will tell. He, he died for every lustful thought that I will think or that you will think. He dies for every time that you'll disrespect your parents. He died for every single thing that you will do wrong. He dies on the cross, and he says, listen, you cannot, you cannot make me happy. Because here's the thing. We think in terms of good enough. God thinks in terms of perfection. See, and some of us are in that category, right? Where we're in the category as I'm not as bad as. Hello. I'm seriously, most of us, many of us are in that category. Well, I'm not as bad as, I'm only. And then that's just really being prideful because what you're really saying is I'm better than. You ever think about it that way? That's really what you're saying. And so ultimately, we fall into that category, and we, and we have this mindset. And so what happens is Jesus dies because we will never be able to, to fulfill God's standard of perfection. We will never be able to do it. So Jesus dies. He dies. He lives this perfect life. This is why this is indescribable love. Because we break God's laws, he dies for us. He doesn't want to punish us. He literally takes our punishment for us. He dies for us. He dies in our place. He gives his life for us, not because we're good. Listen, he didn't die for you because you're cute. He didn't die for you because you're so good and he just wanted to make you a little better. No, he died for you because you are wretched. He died for you because you cannot save yourself. He died for me because no matter how good I am, no matter how good I try to be, no matter what, I'm never going to be good enough. You know what he wants me to do? You know what he wants you to do? He wants you to have a hope that doesn't change. You know why? Because today, I may make it all the way. I may not lie. I may not lust. I may not do this. I may not disrespect parents. I may not commit. I may not do all of these things. And tomorrow, I do all of them. Where's my hope going to be? In me? If it's in me, that's a horrible place to be. So Jesus dies. He lives this perfect life. Because here's the thing. He does for us what we can never do for ourselves. Some of us, we buy into the lie of spirituality. Well, I'm spiritual. I'm in tune. I don't care how in tune you are. Do you know Jesus? Well, you know, I sense it. I don't care what you sense. It's not, it's not about, it, listen, it's not about sensing. Have you put your faith in Jesus. It's not about being spiritual. Listen, I know plenty of people that would call themselves spiritual. They may walk in these doors. We're in the middle of worship. They're crying because they sense something. You know what they're sensing? They're sensing God calling them to repent of their sin. They're sensing God showing them his love. Here's the thing. Some of us buy into that lie because that's the lie that we have in our culture. Some of us buy into the lie of morality. Again, we go back to that, you know, I'm not as bad as, I'm better than, you know, I'm not killing anyone. Hold on a second. God's standard is perfection. Are you perfect? Everyone, if they were honest, would say no. The other, the other one that we sometimes buy into, and this is the one that gets kind of tricky, is but I'm religious. I go to church every Sunday, or at least some Sundays. Some Sundays I got to do my own thing. I participate in religious activities. Doesn't that save you? No, Jesus saves you. That's why he died. He died so he could save us. 
Jesus lived this perfect life because we cannot. He died in our place, observing our punishment, offering us forgiveness. When we look at Jesus, this is indescribable love. The Bible says, for God gave his only begotten son. No one took his son. He gave his son. He gave his son to die for us. Indescribable. Nobody in this place. I know me. I could tell you hands down. I would not let my daughter die for anyone in this room. Straight up. I love you. I love you, but I would not let her die for you. God does. God does. He sends his son to die in our place. And then, after he dies in our place, he resurrects. He defeats death once and for all. To do what? To give us hope. In the resurrection, we're offered new life. We're offered a new heart. We are offered a new hope. That's what Jesus offers us. If you don't know him today, what he says is, I died to save you from wrath. So the first one is, say bodily resurrection. Second one is indescribable love. Say indescribable love. love. And the third one is say grace to live. live. God doesn't just offer us forgiveness, but he gives us grace to live. I want you to turn your Bibles and also go on the screen, please, to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Well, you got to say so. And it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, still lying, still lusting, still hating, still not forgiving, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life verse 11 says and not only that but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have we have now received reconciliation that reconciliation is is a relationship that was broken 
When I talked about us being in sin, that sin separates us from God. But what Jesus does is he dies in our place so we can be brought back into a relationship with God. And the only way we can do that is not by being spiritual, not by being moral, not by being religious, but it is by us putting our faith in Jesus Christ. It is by us recognizing our sin. It is by us turning away from sin and recognizing that if I don't submit my life to Jesus, then I am going to die and be separated from him for all eternity and I do not want that. That is what we do. And when we do that, he gives us this grace to live. He doesn't just want us to just be saved from hell, but he wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants us to walk with him and experience him in a relational sense every day. And you know what he talks about in these verses? It says when tribulation comes, he's writing to Christian people here. And what he's saying is life is going to be tough, but God is going to walk through you. Oh, God is going to walk with you through the tough situations that you face. But the only way I can be assured of that is when I look to the cross. The only way that I can be sure that Jesus is walking with me is when I look at the cross. Not my own good stuff because you know what? I'm going to have bad days, maybe bad weeks, maybe bad months, and sometimes a bad year. And what happens then? Does Jesus no longer love me? Does he no longer care for me? Because what? Because I've fallen short? That's why he died, because I would fall short. The resurrection of Jesus gives us the greatest hope. And that while science advances and man seeks ways to hold off death, none have found a way to defeat it except Jesus. Jesus defeats death. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to save us from the wrath of God that is to come. But he also wants to comfort us, comfort you in the sorrows of life the hardships that you will face. He also wants to liberate you from the power of sin. You know those things that you love to do, those things that maybe no one else knows about? He wants to set you free from those things. And that is what the cross and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus offers us. It offers us a guarantee of freedom. No longer will I live the way that I used to because he has given me new life. But there's something else that happens in this life, and it's when people sin against us. It's when people hurt us. And for some of you, that's what's holding you back today. That's what holds you back from Jesus. I was talking to Brother Sean, and he was telling me about a co-worker of his that he was giving an invitation to come to this service to. And the person told him, man, I'm pretty much over church people. Why? Because sometime or in her life, they were hurt. They experienced something that hurt them. They said, man, I'm done with that. And for some of you, you're done with Jesus because things have happened that you don't understand. Situations have occurred that have hurt, and you don't want to walk with them. But you know what? That is the reason why Jesus died. He died to liberate you from sin, but to heal you from the sins that have been against you in your life. God offers us this grace. What grace is, I want to explain it to you in, in the easiest way I can. It means divine influence upon our hearts. It means that God, when I come and I repent of my sin, when I come and I put my faith in Jesus, what happens is God takes residence in me. And it's, a, it's amazing. It's something that is beyond the ability to really understand. God comes and takes residence in me. And he begins to influence my life. And now I begin to desire different things. The things I used to want, I don't want those anymore. Why? Because someone else is living in me. Because now Christ comes to dwell in me. And so here's the question. We're here today, we ask the question, what's the big deal about Easter? So my question for you is this, have you made a big deal about Jesus? That's my question for you. Have you made a big deal about Jesus? Now sometimes we can make a big deal about a day, but my question is, have you made a big deal about a person? 
Have you made a big deal about Jesus in your life? In other words, have you said, I'm no longer going to live the way that I'm living. I'm going to put my faith in him. I'm no longer going to live how I've been living, but today I want to live a new life. Have you done that yet? Because if you haven't done that today, God calls you into that relationship. If you haven't done that, today offers you this opportunity. And I want to make this crystal clear. Jesus is not calling you to some magic formula. There's not some magic formula. I can't do some hocus pocus on you and you're going to walk out here and everything in life is going to be perfect. Can't do that. But I can guarantee you one thing, that if you will submit your heart to him, if you will turn away from your sin and you will put your faith in him, he will walk with you when you walk out these doors today. I can guarantee you that, that he will be with you no matter what you are facing. That is the guarantee. He's not calling you to some special prayer. He's not even calling you to an altar. I'm going to open this altar and ask you to come up here. But that is not where it ends. That is the beginning. That is the beginning because the beginning is right here and you begin to walk with him, that you begin to follow him. What Jesus called people to do and what he calls people to do every day until he returns is to follow him. To follow him. And so my question is, are you following him? Are you devoted to him? And if you are not, I call you to repentance in this place. I call you to turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus. Amen? Stand to your feet, please, and bow your heads with me. Now the question is very simple. Have you made a big deal about Jesus? And I don't know if you've done that yet. But I want to open the altar up, and if you would like to make that commitment to Christ, if you would like to have someone pray with you, I open the altar for you today. And I ask you to come forward right now. Don't wait for anyone else. I ask you to come forward right now. Don't wait for your neighbor. Don't wait for someone to move. I ask you to come forward right now and, and, and submit your heart to Christ. Let us pray with you in this place. Let us pray with you in this place. I know God has spoken to some of you. Don't hold back. This is the opportunity for you to come forward. This is the opportunity for us to pray with you. We have leaders that are here, and we'll pray with you today. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah, God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. The altar is open. The altar is open. God, we thank you so much. Hallelujah. If I could have some of the leadership, some of the ladies to come and pray with these young ladies here. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. As the leaders pray, I'm going to pray a general prayer. This altar is going to be open. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Heavenly Father, right now, God, I come before you and I thank you. God, I thank you for every person that is in this place today. Heavenly Father, you know where each and every one of us is at. And I pray, Spirit of God, that you would draw our hearts unto you, my God. And you would draw our lives unto you, Jesus. God, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you, God, would fill us with your spirit, that we may be able to follow you, that we may be able to pursue you and your will for our lives, God. Father, I pray for every person in this place that does not know you, Jesus. God, I ask you to soften their hearts 
to your gospel, to your love, my God. Lord, I pray that they would turn unto you, that they would cry out unto you, Lord God, in recognition of their need for you, Jesus. God, today, I pray that you would glorify your name in each and every one of these lives in this place. God, I thank you for this. I give you all glory and all honor. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, come on and give God a hand of praise. He's worthy. He is worthy. Hallelujah. You can be seated for a moment. Our youth are going to do a, a special that they were, they were going to do at another time in the service, but I forgot. Hallelujah. A lot going on today, so I forgot. But they're going to come up here, so I want you to put your hands together for TCG as they come forward.